Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast, hosted by Georgia Organics. I'm Mary Elizabeth, Communications Director at Georgia Organics. For this week's episode, I spoke to folks from three Georgia cooperative and independent grocery stores, Atlanta's Sevenanda Natural Foods Co-op, The Daily Groceries Co-op in Athens, and Savannah's Brighter Day Natural Foods, as well as the Sentient Bean. We talked about the role of the local natural food store during the pandemic and racial justice movement, as well as some of the practical steps they've had to take to keep their customers coming and their staff and guests safe. After that, I spoke with Bilal Sawari of the National Young Farmers Coalition, who I'm very excited to say is joining the roster as an upcoming guest co-host of the Atlanta Foodcast. We hope you enjoy the show today, and if you're interested in learning more about Georgia Organics or our current Stay Local campaign, visit georgiaorganics.org slash staylocal. First up, I spoke with Aja Simons of Sevenanda Natural Foods Co-op. Sevenanda is located in the Little Five Points neighborhood of Atlanta and was established by a group of yogis almost 50 years ago. Aja is helping Sevenanda continue their legacy of serving the community, especially in the pandemic, while prioritizing her staff, which is the team that makes this co-op so special. Hi, Aja. Hi, Mary Elizabeth. How are you? <laughs> Doing good. Hanging in there, I think, is the perennial answer these days, right? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Gotta hang in there. Onward. Gotta hang in there. <laughs> I know. I love it. We were, we were just chatting before record about some of our kind of practices to stay sane. And I know med- mm-hmm. meditation has, I think, become a new practice for a lot of people, or I hope it has. It certainly helped me. Sounds like you too. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's kind of helped me just refine my center, right? I've always had trouble kind of centering with traditional meditation, but I found guided meditation um, since COVID and it's, it's the bomb. It's been great. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree. I think everyone, especially in, in positions like you are, where you're, you're in a position of leadership in a really challenging time. It's always good to hear that you know, folks aren't aren't neglecting their their well being. Mm, and they're so right? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, well, thank you so much for joining us, and give us a little bit of your background with with Sevenanda and and also a brief history of Sevenanda because it is quite a rich history. I don't know if we can condense it to a couple minutes, but but try. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. So. Um, my history with Seven Nine began, let's see, I guess about 15 years ago. Um, I was um, volunteering at the radio station, and all I kept hearing about was Seven Nine, Seven Nine, Seven Nine, Seven Nine, and was on this kind of awakening journey and going through mental, emotional cleansing. And then they said, We well, got to get the food. So Seven Nine is the place, right? So I, I ended up over there. I ended up just writing some articles first and then um, ended up over there an accounts payable because I had an accounting background. Um, just part-time. And then I was at this crossroads in my life, which a lot of people end up there at that point too. So it was just kind of wanting to de-stress a little bit, had a part-time job, um, and then um, moved into marketing and member services 
for about um, nine years. I had opportunity to watch um, Linda Cross, my predecessor for about a year um, doing the job and I just loved it. Um, really engaged with the community and just having such a pulse on what was happening and just the whole co-op world and what it was about and it was just amazing. Um, so I did that for about nine years, I'm sorry. Yeah, nine years and then I ended with a board um, president stint and rolled out um, and I thought my co-op work was done. Um, and then a little did I know three years later, I'd be back there um, in the role of general manager and cooperative director, totally different contribution, totally different lens and everything else. Um, so that was my journey with Savananda um, thus far, um, still loving it. Um, and Savananda as a whole, of course, has been around for 47 years now. Amazing, right? And um, continuing to, they are a co-op. So um, they have a nine member board. Um, it's a combination of, you know, a retail operation as well as an association of people like a, um, um, almost like a nonprofit. So it's a combination of the two. Started by yogis um, way back in 1974, an organization called the Ananda Marga. Uh, which is a social um, service project organization. And, um, and so they continue to create projects like Sevananda. And uh, we continue to um, offer health and wellness and create this model, um, cooperative model um, of the needs of holistic health and wellness and uh, things of that nature. And we've been doing that ever since, continuing to educate the community. So it's been an amazing ride and um, we're still here. <laughs> You're still here. I know. Still here. I was there this weekend, you know, stocking up on my, I love Thank the, um, you. yeah, I got to stock up on, you know, everything from cashews to Castile soap to my cooking oil to my vitamins. Good girl. Pretty Good great. Girl. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful for, for such a, you know, storied history of being a, a health Mecca mm -hmm. in, in Atlanta. It's really amazing to know it's been around so long and, and I don't think I realized it was, it was founded by yogis. I love that, that's great. Well, I wanna talk a little bit about, you know, the, the focus of our segment right now is really adjusting to the pandemic and, you know, practically, and I think sort of in a bigger picture um, as far as the role in the community, but let's talk, to pra let's talk practicality. I mean, and especially with you as, as GM, I'm sure it has been, you know, a constant learning lesson, you know, learning cycle. Mm -hmm. um, I know just speaking from the, the customer experience, when I go in, um, you know, they, they make sure that the store is not too full. Sometimes I have to wait, you know, a couple set, a couple minutes in line while the, while they filter out. Um, so it's not too high a capacity and then mask checking. I talk us through kind of from Talk us through from start to finish some of the things that y'all have put in play and um, and anything you've learned that you want to share with other, you know, cooperative owners, independent grocers, folks like that. Yeah, um, what a ride, I, I would say, is, you know, kind of what's reverberating right now for all of us. Um, we have really um, grown together as a team and grown individually through COVID. There's been some positive there. We've been more unified, more synergized, more focused um, on, on our work and what we need to do and just um, staying present 
um, and continuing to innovate and create our way forward. Really, really, really scary at first, not knowing if we'd be there as individuals, if family members would be there, if, if the store would be there, um, you know, the first few months and then kind of working our way through, okay, all right, well, what are we going to do about it, you know, um, and figuring out in, intelligently what we need to do and prioritizing um, and then getting to a place of, okay, all right, we can do this, you know, um, and so that involved focus on three things, I'd say, um, appreciation, um, safety, and the finances. And so knowing our priority was the staff, because if we didn't have that, we couldn't function. Um, so we did um, put that first and really allowed for um, a movement with the staff if they had to stay home, if they needed to do whatever. They had a partner who um, had, you know, the immune deficiencies or um, were part of, you know, the threatened groups. Um, so we started really with them, um, paying them a little bit more, doing um, hero pay, um, doing stipends, um, creating a space in our education room where they could just kind of woosah, um, be at peace. Um, we started a meal a day, free meal a day that our deli cooked for them every day and all of us. And that was amazing. We just ended that recently. We got spoiled. Um, so we started there. Um, and then, then that was, then we moved to safety. So we, um, of course, some of the um, precautions you mentioned, um, we had to pay for additional security, of course, hand sanitizer and all these other, um, the masks and lots of extra cost, of course. Um, but we were um, really determined to put safety first um, after making sure that the staff was safe and felt safe to come in um, so that we could have the luxury of even talking about this other stuff. Um, and then we also focused on air quality. Um, because we felt that that was really another aspect that wasn't really be focused wasn't being focused on a lot, you know, so changing on our filters, um, which are HVA system for um, charcoal filters and UV light and things like that uh, made us feel, you know, we wanted to just add protective layer after protective layer after protective layer. And so that's what we set out to do. And of course, all the distancing protocols that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, that did affect our um, sales, of course, you know, uh, I've talked to some of the other co-ops across the nation, including Daly, who you mentioned, and we were all talking at the same time on, um, on groups about all the different things were occurring and how we were trying to hurry up and put online um, ordering and practice and just a host of other things. Um, but it, it, it was really, really um, an interesting journey just getting to that point so that we could focus. So I'd say that um, the safety was next and then watching the sales go up and down the first, the first wave, March, of course, we had incredible sales. All of us were like, can this just stay like this all the time? Yeah. Um, and we wondered how long it would stay like that. And then of course it dipped back down after the initial um, you know, sheltering at home. And then some of us didn't make it. Um, as far as co-ops, many of us still are still here, uh, which we're grateful for and continuing to kind of monitor our sales. I'd say our sales just started to kind of um, turn around towards the end of the year, it went down again, we got nervous, um, but now it's turning again upward. Um, we really have put a lot of the online um, practices in place. Um, we're getting ready to launch, um, you know, virtual consults. We're also going to be having uh, delivery and just using technology more to really offer conveniences to members and um, shoppers. Um, and so that's kind of our focus now and, and partnering as much as we can with um, third party um, digital, digital marketing, 
um, SEO, just a host of other things to really give ourselves a presence online that we haven't had, that we've wanted to do, that we really mm -hmm. haven't had. We're just kind of stuck in the old way of doing things. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was another positive for us to kind of be forced to, well, yeah, get with it. Um, on the digital landscape. And so we're still working on that. And we really think that that's starting to help some of our numbers as well. Um, mm -hmm. I'd say that was kind of the, the short summary of a long journey of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, but what an amazing summary. I'm, I'm just particularly blown away by, by the fact that you, you know, vocalize and commit to prioritizing your staff right now. And, and those are some fantastic things that you're offering them or have offered them throughout the pandemic to, to show their value. And, you know, they're taking the most risks of, of, you know, many folks within, within the um, pandemic society right now. So it's amazing yeah. to know that y'all, that they're taken care of. Yep. Thank you for yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. It didn't happen without them. Mm -hmm. even on a, without a pandemic, you know, and I think we've wanted to do more for them. Of course, PPP helped, helped us mm -hmm. be able to do more than we could in the past. And so that was really great. We'll just, we passed it on. Oh, one other thing we did quickly was um, yeah. we have something called a SevTNet, which was really internal. At one point, it was just a hardship fund, um, payroll deducted, you know, staff to staff. Um, and so we opened it up to the community um, during COVID and we opened up our Be The Change program, which is normally for other nonprofits to have promotion oh. store and roundup. And we opened it up just to raise money for the staff. So oh, wow. uh, the community um, did um, show up and they raised like about 10 grand, I think over a period of five, five months or something like that until it started to just kind of dribble in. Um, but it was great. And we actually uh, yeah. dispersed that for holiday, which was amazing. So yeah, that oh, that's felt amazing. Good. Felt really good. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that. Good. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit bigger picture. Um, you know, at almost 50 years in the community, you know, Sevenanda has been a part of the Little Five Points community and the and the part of it part of the Atlanta community as a whole. Um, I, from my perspective, in a really important way. I mean, being a place of of health and connection and, you know, everyone there is just of the same spirit and of the same mind. And this year, of course, not only did we have the pandemic, but, um, you know, we had so many protests in Atlanta, um, so much more conversations, much more meaningful conversation around racial equity, food justice. Um, how, how has Sevenanda fit into this realm of sort of social change and, you know, just sort of the bigger sense of community in Atlanta? Hmm. That's an Big interesting question. question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel it's almost like, as you were describing it, I almost felt like the world in terms, you know, how we were having to catch up on the digital landscape, the mm -hmm. world is catching up with us. Mm, yes. how we view all of this you know it's like we've been living this we're just doing our work every day and you know seeing people for who they are all the time and just um you know right now we are predominantly african-american um um led and and it's and it just happens to be that you know but we we're just doing what we do and staying focused on that and and now it feels like people are catching up 
like people are starting to adopt some of um, the views and the values that we have had all along. And that's not to say that we don't, you know, we haven't mastered the model. We're still trying to tweak it every day and master it and, and get it right. You know, we mm -hmm. haven't perfected it, but we definitely have that as that kind of guiding beacon and always have. And, um, you know, we talk about it. It's, it's relevant. It's, it's real for us, you know, trying to really stay tuned to that. Sometimes we get off track and education and training is huge because you mm -hmm. have to kind of consistently remind folks and teach folks about what it is they've become a part of so we can continue to hold that. And that has slipped, you know, that had slipped over time yeah. before COVID. We saw our way, um, we saw our way almost losing Sevenanda at one point because we forgot. We forgot what those things were and how important they were. Um, and then we remembered. And yeah. so um, it's been amazing to kind of, you know, stay there. And now we just want to bump it up even more, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's people that have been upset about wearing masks. There's There's been people that haven't been happy about some of the stuff we were doing for protocols, but most people have been. Um, and so I think, you know, just standing firm in who we are um, is, is, is plenty. I won't say it's enough, but it's plenty. And, um, and so we want to continue to be that beacon. I know there were, there were some key people during the whole um, COVID that, you know, some people, they run away when there's a challenge and some people run toward it. Wow. And we've got people that run toward it. They're like, so there, I, we got to be here for our customers and our member owners. You know, we'd run out of supplies. There were distributors who could not get us what we normally get. And we'd have to deliver those messages to, to the community. We'd have to, um, you know, close a department and things like that. And it was really, really hard. Um, but overall, I think, you know, we're just continuing to hold that light and, um, and just kind of be centered, continue to educate, um, be strong in what we are and who we are and, um, just keep on keeping on. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderfully put. Staying true to who you are. And, you know, I wonder if there's any um, of those overarching values that you want to share. I know, I know in Georgia Organics, that's something that we're taking time to really sit with is, is those fundamental pieces of our values. What is our mission? You know, those things that you think just because they're written somewhere on your website, that, they're, that you're good, but you, right. you have to consistently be going back to those things. I think that's exactly what you're saying through education and training. Mm -hmm. So what are those things for Sevenanda? Well, let's see. Um, if we look at just the principles, of course, those are the, the seven cooperative principles that guide cooperatives nationally, globally, and all of that put out by the ICA. Um, one is autonomy and independence, um, um, voluntary and open membership, Mm -hmm. So you're not forcing people to do this thing. They're inspired or moved to do this thing or be a part of this thing. Um, education and training, um, um, concern for community. Um, and, you know, there's a couple more, but those are kind of the main ones that stick out yeah. for me. Um, also, and then we've got the values in addition to the principles, um, things like um, equity, equality, uh, self-responsibility, self-reliance, things of the, that nature. Mm -hmm. And I think even with respect to, you know, revisiting um, equity, things like food access, we're so busy just running our store a lot of times that there are things that we forget. And on the co-op side, you know, mm -hmm. trying to balance it out. Um, and so we're still continuing to focus on creating more ways to create equity and so that people can access um, a co-op 
you know, no matter how much they make, no matter what they look like, no matter where they live, um, you know, those kinds of things. So those are things that we're still focusing on as well and trying to um, tweak and, um, and keep at the forefront uh, of yeah. our work. Yeah. Incredible. Well, I want to kind of round us out. We're, we're definitely going to need to come back and have a, a more full expanded conversation with you because there's just so much rich, richness to Sevenanda. Um, in case you can't tell, I'm quite the fan. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would be fun. I would love to do that. Yeah, yeah. But for now, let's just close out with kind of how people can get involved with Sevenanda, both, you know, where to find y'all online and on social, and then just kind of anything you have coming up, opportunities, volunteer opportunities, anything like that. Yeah. I know things are limited, but but yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, I would say definitely our website, mm-hmm. um, Sevenanda, S-E-V-A, N-A-N-D-A, coop um and then um you can find all of our you know social spots and all that on the website um email info at sevenanda.coop of course um member services is an aspect of the organization we would say definitely reach out there um that you can find through info as well um in addition to um engaging with our board of directors they're always um, looking to engage with um, shoppers and member owners, and um, they're looking to create more committees. They're looking to just get more engagement for volunteers as well um, for all these different projects that we'd like to um, kind of have running in 2021. So definitely want to encourage folks to uh, visit the website, um, send us emails, or give us a call at the store um, at the main number. Um, my extension is 117, and the main number is 404-681-2831. Would love to hear from folks. Well, wonderful. I hope a lot of people will get involved. As we close out, I just have one question. Can you explain the meaning of the word Sevenanda? Oh, thank you for that. I yeah. should have announced that initially. <laughs> um, that is a Sanskrit word for um, the joy of service or service is bliss. Yes, so we're uh, working on, you know, continuing to refine service as well. That's what we're finding, you know, that you can still stand out by tweaking your service. You can't be good, too good at service. So uh, we're going to be working on that again, you know, because initially you're just in COVID, you're just thinking about being safe and Mm -hmm, you think about yourself, mm -hmm. you know, and so um, this allows us to get a little bit outside of ourselves and remember what we're here for and what we're doing. And that is to serve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, y'all are, you and your work is so appreciated. And Thank um, you. I so look much. forward to, con- yeah, I look forward to continuing to follow all the amazing evolution that y'all take and also just the staying true to yourself and, and rooting into Sevenanda. So. I will pass that on to our staff. And thank you, George Organics and Mary Elizabeth for your amazing work as well. It's a pleasure to be here with you and do work with you. Well, thank you, Aja. I appreciate it. Next up, I spoke to Kara Brown and Theo Horn of the Daily Groceries Co-op, located on Prince Avenue in Athens. We spoke about their effort to meet the operational challenge of the pandemic and continue to engage with their community. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be talking right now with 
Kara Brown, who is the general manager of The Daily Groceries Co-op in Athens, Georgia, along with Theo Horn, who is um, the marketing and outreach manager. Welcome, y'all. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having us. We're excited. Yeah, I'm excited. I was, I was just kind of relaying that one of my last, you know, outings pre-COVID was to Athens for the Georgia Organics 2020 conference. And we made a, a wonderful pit stop, as you have to do, by the daily to pick up some good trail mix. I think we picked up a little wine. I know I got the daily puzzle, which I was very excited Hi. about. That is making its way through the Georgia Organics office puzzle trade currently. So <laughs> lots of daily love from Georgia Organics. Well, listen, y'all, we're going to kind of catch up with what y'all have been doing during COVID and, you know, how you've kind of adjusted the business to continue serving the community. But first, I'd love if y'all could just give a little intro of yourselves. Tell us about yourselves and your history with The Daily. Sure. Uh, this is Kara, and I came to work at Daily in August 2018. Funnily enough, I think Theo and I basically started at the same time. Um, I came on as general manager and Theo came on as the grocery assistant. And then I think within six months became outreach coordinator, which was wonderful. Uh, I grew up in Georgia, but had lived in Vermont for many, many years, but then heard about this opportunity. My family was still down here. And the, si the kind of the size of daily really appealed to me. I really loved this like small just hyper local store. So I was really excited to come here and work with Daily and, and just see where we could we could take this place. And yeah, I've I've learned so much of my time there and I've learned so much about the people that I work with and about the Athens community. And it's been really rewarding. Yeah, yeah. I came on just after Kara. Um and started a daily, but I had just moved to Athens and I knew that daily was where I wanted to work. So as I was in, in the process of moving, it was kind of like, I think I interviewed for three different positions before we finally was like, okay, here's the timeline that will work for me to be able to get in here. Um, and I'm really happy that, that I was able to shift into marketing and outreach. That's kind of my, my comfort zone job wise um but really it's just it's a dream job and it's a dream place uh and i and i just i really love it i really love it so well great and if y'all can you know just detail for me sort of what your role entails um and and how you fit within the day-to-day -day operations of the daily sure um something that I guess I'll start off with, and I really like to emphasize, is both Theo and I and every member of the management team, even though we're managers, we have a staff of 17 people. The managers have a lot of responsibility, even just operationally in terms of taking care of deliveries, opening and closing the store. So our management team wears a lot of different hats and does that really well. Um, I think it's one of the reasons that the team works so well. Uh, in my role, um, it's, it kind of runs the gamut. Um, I definitely, some days, am kind of the operations manager and helping out with stuff on the floor. Um, I have a manager on duty shift every week, uh, like all the managers do. 
and just coordinating with staff. But then some of my bigger picture functions are uh, doing any human resources functions, uh, helping. We have a finance coordinator, but also coordinating with him on payroll and just our monthly finances. And then kind of even broader than that, outside of daily, uh, I am the designated representative for daily with national cooperative grocers, which we're a member of, um, and kind of try to do long-term planning strategy, um, strategy planning and budgeting. Yeah, and I, I tag in Kara where I can. Um, <laughs> but a lot of mine is, is just sort of thinking about the, the, the story of daily and how to tell people about, about who we are and who we want to be. Um, and then keeping my, my fingers kind of in every pie across town, um, just in, in terms of, of how can we help and what needs to get done and where can, can daily plug in to different organizations and different events. And at the very least, spread information and help make sure that people have access to like just things happening in town and in Athens specifically, um, especially about food justice and and food access uh, are two of our our main always always thinking about these things. So absolutely, yeah, it's all incredibly intertwined. Definitely want to come back to that. Uh, would one of y'all give us a brief history of the daily for those who might not be as familiar? Sure. Um, the, this history was put together by a former employee uh, who had worked there for a long time, and it's the history that's in our employee guide. Daily was started in 1992 by a small group of locals. It wasn't a co-op to start off with. Um, a, a grocery store that had been downtown in Athens moved outside of downtown, and they thought you should have a place downtown where you can buy an apple. So that's why our logo is an apple. Uh, they started daily groceries in 1992, I believe in like late spring. Uh, but that iteration didn't really work out and they were going to close. But then another group of locals were like, no, this is a really great opportunity to start a cooperative. So by October 1992, daily groceries was reopened as a cooperative. And uh, it was in the side room of the grit at that point, further down Prince. And then in 1997, we moved from that location to our current location. And up through that time, mostly run by member workers and locals, um, a few full-time staff, but not a lot. And then in about 2012, they made the full push for paid full-time staff, uh, which in the cooperative world has a whole history behind it. They upgraded to things like a POS system, um, and then kind of big, and they adopted patronage, which is the level of co-op where you don't have member workers and the consumers are, you know, voting with their dollars into the co-op. And when the co-op is profitable, they get patronage returned to them. And also at that time in 2014, we became associate members of National Cooperative Grocers. Uh, and we've kind of been trucking along since then. And then last year in 2020, we became full members of National Cooperative Grocers, which has given us so many great advantages. Uh, Sevananda is also a member. 
Uh, so people familiar with kind of seven on to set up would be familiar with some of the things that we have through that membership. And now we're just looking towards the future and how daily can, can continue to grow in the Athens community. I think one of the big things, um, I think one of the big things about Daly's history that I think about in terms of like, what is the fabric of this DNA? Like, what are some of our big, who are we moments is whenever we moved from the grit location to our current location, the way that product got moved down those few blocks was a full train of people like owner members and shoppers passing groceries down the line to the new store and, and setting them on our shelves. And I think that that really tells a lot about who Daily is and the ways that we make it work and, and the methods we have to make it work, which are so often just people coming together and saying, we want this, let's just do it ourselves. Um, it, it, it's very, it, it, that's a warm spot. That's a, it's a sweet spot for me, I think. Yeah, that's a good story. I'm glad you like it too. <laughs> that's really good. What a great visual too, absolutely. Um, well, you know, let's talk, and maybe this would be a good one to start with you, Kara, just of, you know, come, what was it, mid-March of this, of this past year? Talk about the trajectory of the year and operations, I know you're saying that, you know, managers and staff, just everyone's very hands-on. Um, and I'm sure from your perspective, especially with operations and with you know, safety and COVID protocols, what, what did you have, what have you had to, what challenges have you had to meet and what have you put into play at the daily? Well, there, there were certainly a, a lot of challenges um, and it was, it, kind of the trajectory for our year was COVID on top of everything was pretty mind blowing. Like in February, kind of right when you were there before the pandemic hit full force, we did a floor remodel. Uh, we got our NCG membership, like all these exciting things were happening. We were, we were like gaining business weekly. It was, it was like this moment of like, this is our time, this is our time. And then the pandemic hit and of course, everything was thrown into chaos, um, trying to find information, trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, we were still fully open to the public, I think up through the end of March. And then I think by April, things were getting pretty intense and we knew we needed to figure out curbside pickup like people were already starting to ask us for it so we were like all right we have to we have to regroup and slow down so we mostly closed to the public uh we would let people come in the front door one at a time and we would try to serve them while we also tried to figure out curbside pickup it was it was a very trying time um but we decided in that moment to focus on curbside pickup for the safety of the staff and our customers. So we kind of lost um, a lot of momentum in that way. But the plus of that is, is one, I think we were able to make customers and staff feel very safe and give us time to figure out how best to handle this situation. 
And then the, the curbside pickup program that our staff came up with as a team was just stellar in such a short amount of time. Most places spend three to six months planning something like that. And they really threw it together and made it work. And it was great. And then over the course of kind of that early summer, we were able to develop a relationship with a tech company that would actually host a web store for us in a way that was affordable for us. So we were able to put our full inventory online, which transformed that curbside pickup program. Uh, we did, you know, we're able to take advantage of the governmental programs from the CARES Act, like the PPP loan, which, which was absolutely vital to our, our staying open and being able to keep everyone employed and pay everybody. And then by, we slowly kind of started opening a little bit more and more and more and trying to balance those two sides of things. And then by, by mid-October, we were again fully open to the public. Um, with certain things like capacity limits, mask requirements, et cetera. What has been the response of your typical customer base? Have they, have they engaged with this? Are they supportive of this? Um, any learnings there? Our customers all tend to be just wonderful kind of across the board. Um, yeah. So a lot, a lot of people just, and this isn't the usual experience, but people being really grateful and excited and really vocal about like being excited about our programs, especially the curbside pickup program, which allows people to kind of be as socially distant as possible um, and as physically distant as possible. Um, but definitely people have been so loving uh, and, and, for the most part, really down about, you know, wearing masks and, and waiting outside when there's too many people inside and, and um, really willing to be patient with us and on board with us about any, anything that we ask yeah. them to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's it, great. it really is. And I, I'm on the mask thing. I'm so grateful for this community. We're, we're incredibly lucky that, our customer base has been so willing to meet us on yeah. that requirement and it's been really great. I would expect no less of Athens. I, I'm glad to hear that. Um, well, at, within those kind of adjustments and the learnings that you made, is there any advice that you would give to other, whether it's other you know, local natural grocers or small business owners, just things that you've learned that have really worked for you? And maybe it's Maybe it's how you engage with your customer and make them feel comfortable, but just, just anything you would share. I think okay. kind of, do you want to go? Carrie, okay. I, I can go and then you can go. Okay, that's um, good. I think that my answer to this is, is more looking at the, the broadness of, of the question. Cause I think that the most helpful thing that I've learned and that I think a lot of our, our staff collectively have learned is, how crucial it is just to be a good listener um, and, and especially listening to our staff and what makes them feel comfortable at work and makes them feel like safe at work right now um, and listening to our customers about, okay, well, what do you need to make this more bearable? What do you need 
to to get through these next few days like what are your your go-to items and and what are the things that daily doesn't have yet that you wish that we did um and kind of getting to put those pieces together but but mostly i've learned that patience is very helpful and and just asking questions and sitting down and listening has has been my way to to navigate putting the puzzles together every day at work. Um. Yeah, it, it, is, it is a puzzle. It's a, it's a Tetris game every day for sure. Um, I, I would definitely echo what Theo said internally about with staff, just making sure that you're asking questions and you're listening. I mean, even before the pandemic, in such a small store and such a small staff, you have to be open and willing to have those conversations all the time. And that just became even more vital. Uh, and then with our customers, I think just being transparent about everything that we were doing and why. Uh, we even had a positive COVID uh, case among one of our employees back in June. And we let everyone know that and we let them know what our plan was. Uh, we let them know that that person was on paid sick leave during that time. And I think that's one of the reasons that our customers are willing to stick with us is, is because they, they trust us and that we tell them what we're doing. And I'm so glad to hear that about, you know, that the employee who was positive was on paid sick leave. That's definitely something else that I really admire and have noticed in my conversations with Sevananda um, and with Brighter Day is that there is a real high priority placed on the, the security of the, the staff um, and not just literal, you know, safety and security, but, but truly their financial well-being and, and mental well-being throughout this time. And listening, I think, is also a huge part of that is, is never um, so many, so many food industry people are, are more or less being forced to work right now. And, and if you take the listening out of that equation, then, then it's, it's really detrimental. So, um, well, there's another important question that I wanna ask and we're kind of winding down on our Zoom time, of course, as it always happens. But, um, you know, I know Theo, you were speaking to sort of the value of the daily within the community and, and, and also a community like Athens being so active. And I, the Athens that I know is very politically engaged. And I know over the summer was very engaged in racial equity conversations and protests and everything. How do you see the daily fitting into that equation? You know, knowing that not only is there a pandemic, but there's this, this mass conversation and mass reckoning around um, conversations of equity and equality and food justice. So where's the daily in that? That is a question that I've spent a long time, especially this past year, thinking about and trying to sort of put a lot of action behind. Mm -hmm. um, but because we're set up as a cooperative model, it, it is in our purview to say what is affecting our community is what we need to be focusing on. So, so just thinking about like pay rates and, and safety downtown in Athens and 
health service industry, because we do kind of end up falling in the service industry slot, like how, how is the service industry in Athens treating the folks working within it? Um, and definitely there's so much room for growth and, and change in Athens specifically. And that's something that Daily really wants to be a part of uh, and is focusing a lot this year on, on ways to do that that feel achievable to us and, and like genuinely helpful to our community um, and, and thinking about those kinds of steps that we can take. But we spend a lot of time like talking with our daily change partners that, that are all like local nonprofits, mostly to Athens um, about, about what they're doing and trying to boost their platforms as, as much as we can. Because a lot of my job is just spent focusing on like social media and how how to get information to a lot of people really quickly um, and, and kind of using daily as a way to get that information out um, and, and care for our town in that way. And then we're also thinking about you know how to make our groceries more affordable and how to make our store the most accessible and the most safe for everyone that it can be. Um, and that means like giving front end staff permission to like say, hi, you need to go now and know that management will back them up if someone is, is acting violently or, or making racist remarks or sexist remarks to kind of give our team the go ahead to say, you know, daily is gonna be protective of you and, and, and choosing to make the co-op a safe space for people to just come and get their groceries. It's such a necessary task. And, and sometimes it feels scary to do it and we never want daily to feel that way. Um, and so then thinking about affordability and working with Georgia Fresh for Less and Wholesome Wave to get 50% off of all local produce for folks using SNAP or EBT at the co-op. And we yeah, also- have I don't think I realized that y'all, oh, excuse me. That's amazing. I don't think I realized yeah. that y'all participated in, in that program. Yeah, we're very, very happy to be involved because it's mostly only farmers markets who get to be involved, but we're, we're feeling very lucky to be a, a brick and mortar year round store where people can, can always come and get local produce at, at prices that they can afford that, that makes sense for, for feeding a whole lot of people. Um, and, and then we also have a food for all program, which is funded through daily change donations, uh, that, that works with our sponsored membership program to give all of our sponsored members 10% off every shop, um, no matter what they're getting at the store. Um, those but, are incredible. Yeah, definitely trying to, to walk the walk and, and talk the talk and do it all at the same time. Absolutely. Um, and be in really active conversation with, with our neighbors and with the people around us who are also aiming, aiming themselves at, at these goals. Yeah. Well, I, I'd love, I'll, I'll chat with you and I'd love to include some of those links um, in the show notes for how folks can connect with those programs. That's wonderful. Um, and I'm just so grateful for y'all for taking this time. Like I said, I hope we can resume and speak a little further just about some more of the history and offerings of the daily and, and life in general in Athens. Um, but as we wrap up, what is the best way that folks can connect with the daily? 
Uh, best way to connect with us is probably going to be social media always. Tag us, talk to us. We're very chatty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we do have the store open. So if anybody wants to come and shop, come and see us. Um, say hello. We're happy to answer any questions you have about anything that you're looking for. Um, and, and definitely take a look at our curbside pickup program. It's a, yeah. it's a really solid way to get a lot done if you're on a time crunch. So. Absolutely. Kara, Theo, thank you so much. I'm, I really you. appreciate your time. I'm so grateful that you gave us this time. It's been wonderful. Thank you so, so much. This has been great. Thank you. Next, Kristen told me a little bit more about each of these businesses and what customers in Savannah can expect at Brighter Day and the Sentient Bean. Sentient Bean, I own and started in 2001. Brighter Day I just purchased at the beginning of the year with a partner, so I'm a half owner there. Um, I grew up on a family farm ranch in Kansas. You know, didn't leave. Very isolated is kind of the high, it's where the high plains meets the great plains, so it's just barely arable. Uh, we grew all our own feed for the cattle, grew most of our own food for the house. Uh, it was mostly a cow-calf operation, but we certainly did plenty of farming too. Um, went to school in the wintry north, which made me realize I wanted to probably move south. So I moved to Savannah kind of on a whim, but my college roommate and I were looking for a place to open a sort of community gathering spot that we thought we might call a coffee shop and see if we could make money. And it was, I wouldn't say it was a whim. It was well planned, but we didn't, I didn't really think it would work, you know. But I wasn't doing anything better, and she was. she's a motivated visionary, and I'm a workhorse. So we were a good pair. We were a good pair. And so she made us open it. I, I bought her out several years in. I've had a, another partner since, some beloved managers, but now I'm all on my own. Um, funny story, though. I opened the Sentient Bean Coffee Shop three days before 9-11. So brand new business giant crisis I think oh well there goes my business guess I'm gonna be paying off this business loan for a while you know didn't think it would work but it was actually uh, it was actually a really you know bonding moment for the community and I think that the emotions that were circulating in the nation then and just people's need to reach out to one another actually really benefited us long term and I do see some parallels in COVID so here I am with another new business um, you know super steep learning curve anyway to try and figure out how to run a small grocery store I've never done it before and another national emergency which has just caused us to rethink everything we do so that's me Next, Kristen told me a little bit more about each of these businesses and what customers in Savannah can expect at Brighter Day and the Sentient Bean. Sure. Um, Sentient Bean, we've always called it a coffee shop, but we really, I think, established ourselves long ago as a vegetarian restaurant for people who know us. Um, at least half of, a little over half of what we sell is food, but we really concentrate on farm to table, although I'd, that's sort of a recent recent word recent phrase we've always tried to serve local and organic when we opened it was hard to get local so we focused really hard really strongly on organic and I've been absolutely 
flabbergasted and so excited about the growing amount of local food over the last decade that's been available. But we really just serve light, inexpensive, vegetarian, good food. It's very simple. Um, people, you know, if customers come here expecting fancy sauces or a lot of salt, they're not going to get it. And sometimes they're, they're disappointed, you know. Um, it's not the same kind of fare that you're going to eat everywhere. We also, I've always also made a point over the years to really just use less sugar than a lot of coffee shops do. So, you know, we make our own chai. We make, we're, we make most of our own syrups. Some of the ingredients we grow here if we can. So it's different. Um, but it's all prepared food. Whereas Brighter Day is definitely a grocery store with a heavy, heavy dose of supplements and a deli that um, is really known for its smoothies and juices, but we also do sandwiches to order next door. Next, when I asked Kristen what safety measures they were implementing at the Sentient Bean and Brighter Day, she shared a very interesting account of getting trolled for requiring masks and shared some of what we all have to do these days during an evolving time. My partner and I decided that we were going to go ahead and and we were being pushed in a, in a healthy way by our staff um, to not just ask people to wear masks, but require it. And we we're like, OK, well, we're going to have to be public about this. So posters on the doors, Facebook post mm -hmm. overnight. And when was that? Because I know that that's been right after St. Patrick's Day, okay. like the next week, I think, um, maybe even like after the weekend. I can't remember. I think we started asking at St. Patrick's Day and then within a week or two later we required um, and overnight we had like hundreds of just I'm probably exaggerating but 200 and some comments on Facebook that were vitriol I mean everybody was so mad at us for being so well you know the we ran the gamut for being victims of fear for being un-American. I mean, just stuff that we, yeah, we thought was unfair. Yeah. Um, but I, people have different opinions. I respect different opinions. Nobody really has the science totally down on this thing. I get all that. And most importantly, nobody wants to get online and see a bunch of bad news about themselves. Um, but very quickly, a friend's wife, who's an investigative reporter, got a hold of us and said you know do you realize this is a troll attack and do you want to be interviewed for an article I'm writing and she had done the research and like 95% of these comments were people from out of state who had probably never stepped foot in brighter day in their lives and this is what they're doing with their time during a national pandemic is attacking somebody who a tiny independent store in the city across the country who's decided to have a policy in place for the protection of their employees which is completely within their rights and it was like a social media blow up anyway it was it's so bizarre but the bat that was great because the local support the vocal the, the local backlash of love and support was bigger by far than the initial troll attack so it was a really good eye-opening event for this whole community I and I hope everyone to realize you really got to check your facts, you know, you really just, yeah, I mean, here we are like recording a podcast. So this is social media to some extent, but, um, you know, d just never stop judging with your own eyes and ears, people never, you just, 
use your own brain about what's going on in the world around you and make that how you base your opinions and, and decisions, not, not Facebook and whatever other, you know, sites are out there with a whole lot of, a whole lot of, a whole lot of lies. Thank you. Yeah. We close out discussing how she and the team have learned to operate these days to survive and make the best of the current environment. Well, we can't really plan for the future, yeah. which is, uh, it makes you squirm as a business owner. It's an incredibly uncomfortable position to be in, yeah. to not be able to plan. You can plan for the future, but you better have plan A, plan B, and plan C. And that's a little harder than usual. And at the end of the day, you kind of want to be like, well, this is my plan A, plan B, plan C, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to wake up tomorrow morning and they're all going to be down the toilet, you know? Um, so it's, it is, but the upshot of that is it does make you take it one day at a time and you have to be patient and um, hopefully that will allow us to keep incorporating good systemic change in our in our bigger culture and our bigger community as COVID passes. To learn more and connect with Brighter Day and the Sentient Bean, visit BrighterDayFoods.com and SentientBean.com. Check out the show notes for these links and also check out our corresponding blog post on our blog, The Dirt. Next up, I'm interviewing Bilal Sawari of National Young Farmers Coalition. As I've mentioned, I'm really excited that Bilal will be joining us as a guest co-host on the Atlanta Foodcast, and hope you enjoy this conversation about the origin and mission of the National Young Farmers Coalition, as well as our discussion of the role of nonprofits in the current climate, both between the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement. I am very glad to be sitting down virtually via Zoom, of course, with Bilal Sarwari who is the membership manager of the National Young Farmers Coalition. Hi, Bilal. Hey, how are you, Mary Elizabeth? It's great to be I am hanging in there. Thank you for being here. <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and especially looking forward to the fact that it looks like tentatively you'll be, you'll be joining us as a occasional guest co-host of the Atlantic Foodcast. So yeah, excited I'm for that. Good, good. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's talk about your your current role with National Young Farmers Coalition and also just your background in the farming and regenerative agriculture space. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I work for a nationwide organization called the National Young Farmers Coalition. Uh, we're an advocacy network of young farmers fighting for a brighter, more equitable future for agriculture. Um, my role is membership manager. Uh, so I help provide resources to all of our dues paying members. Uh, I try to bring more people on and uh, try to help create change in that small uh, role that I have within the organization. Uh, before I worked for Young Farmers, I was lucky enough to start a therapeutic gardening program at a psychiatric crisis stabilization unit for at-risk teens. Uh, so I did that for a few years. Um, I was, uh, I'm not a therapist, but I was an activity leader. So the kids that were doing really well on the inside got to come outside with me and farm. Uh, so wow. I taught them the basics, uh, seasonality, um, writing a basic invoice. Uh, we would sell to some local restaurants in the area. 
uh, and we'd also provide food for the kitchens. Wow, and, uh, so that's they got incredible. Yeah, it was a lot of fun and the kids were amazing. Uh, I, I still think about sure. that job. And they helped me plant trees, um, compost and mulch, uh, the garden throughout the year. Um, but it was really special. I can't um, imagine the impact that that had on them too. I would, I know personally just gardening is so healing. So I'm, I'm sure that was wonderful. I hope that was wonderful for them. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, I got a lot of really sweet letters from them. Uh, so it was a crisis unit. So they at max would stay for about 28 days, but generally for about like 10 to 14 days. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, a lot of them had never worked in a garden before. Um, a lot of the kids didn't realize that like radishes came from the ground or that tomatoes mm -hmm. came from the line. So it was really touching to see that. Um, and they really taught me a lot too, just about like just kind of like the basic things you need to stay like happy and healthy in life. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So how did that segue you to the National Young Farmers Coalition? Well, uh, from there, I went to a farm you may have heard about called White Oak Pastures in mm -hmm. Southwest Georgia. Uh, so I was lucky enough to work with uh, Will Harris and Jenny Harris and Jody, the whole fam, um, a good friend Amber as well. And I was the organic farm manager there and then eventually moved on to community uh, development manager to kind of help guide the growth of the town. Uh, and I also did some marketing work for them as well. Um, but yeah, that kind of like led me uh, into like more serious farming, I guess. And then uh, from there, uh, I got hired by the National Young Farmers Coalition um, about two years ago. That's quite a roster, um, starting <laughs> starting a garden, and then you know White Oak is certainly very well known in in the sustainable agriculture community. So amazing. Well, tell us about the history and sort of some of the overarching goals of the National Young Farmers Coalition. Yeah, uh, the coalition started uh, ten years ago in Hudson, New York. So while our Offices used to be based in Hudson. Uh, right now, we're pretty um, decentralized across the country, uh, especially since the pandemic. But we are, um, you know, as I mentioned before, uh, working to build a brighter, more equitable future for agriculture. But what does that mean? Um, it's great to like read that out or to see that on paper. But specifically, we support independent family farms, sustainable farming practices affordable uh, land for farmers, uh, fair labor practices, especially for um, undocumented and essential workers, uh, farmer to farmer training. Uh, we support farmers of every gender, race, and sexual orientation. And we also believe in cooperation and friendship between all farmers. So we don't restrict um, membership. We don't restrict involvement based on the type of farming you do. That's great. And, um, you know, what I really wanted to, to dive into, I guess, head first, so to speak, in our conversation is just this past year and the year ahead. Um, I know one word that we were that we were mulling over before we hit record was the word resilience and how often that word is used and kind of thrown around in terms of um, food workers and, of course, healthcare workers and, and sort of 
quote unquote frontline workers um, is resilience. But, you know, where I'd just love to know, I guess, your thoughts um, and where you feel organizations like National Young Farmers Coalition, honestly, like Georgia Organics, you know, I think what we're doing right now is really trying to find out where we can affect the most change and support the most equitability there. So what are your thoughts on that? It's a big question. It's a really big question. And <laughs> I'm really glad you asked that. Um, I think I'll start with the way uh, organizations like ours can help and be like meaningfully supportive of this work. And then I really wanna to touch on that resiliency piece. Um, that word has changed meanings uh, for me over this past year. But yeah, I see well-established white-led organizations like Georgia Organics, like the National Young Farmers Coalition, um, of first doing the internal work to understand and act on racial equity without placing the labor on BIPOC farmers, uh, BIPOC being Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Uh, and additionally, I see white-led farm organizations as being leaders in challenging white farmers to do this work simultaneously while funneling resources to these frontline organizations, to these BIPOC-led organizations that are already doing the work. Uh, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We don't need to take charge of a racial equity movement, but instead we can get our own people in check and then we can funnel, re and when I say funnel resources, I mean money, I mean finances, I mean training, all the things that we take for granted as like these pretty well-resourced nonprofit organizations. And I think we should just give it to the people who are already doing the work and doing it very well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree, I agree. Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's a tendency towards white-led organizations is to adopt the, the savior mentality mm -hmm. and to think that they can both check themselves and level up and confront the crisis on their own because hoorah. But <laughs> I think like you're saying, there's so many individuals and organizations out there that, are, that have been doing this work, who, who this work is central to their, their identity um, that, that need the support right now and need the recognition and, and the platform. And I know that's something you and I have talked about and what I'm, one reason that I'm so excited you're gonna join the, sort of co-hosting team is that you have such a such a rich lens for who who deserves the spotlight who deserves the platform um and I know I I as as one of the co-hosts and, and the communications director at George Organics hope to pull back from that spotlight and to use our platforms which is one of our resources to to benefit people for, for greater awareness, for you know, obtaining funds, support, everything. So I look forward to that. I do too. And I'm really glad that we're working together to do it. Same, same. All right, well, let's talk about the resilience, resilience piece because you had such a great perspective on that. Sure. Um, I might ruffle some feathers. Uh, with <laughs> That's why you're here. That's why we brought you in. But you know, <laughs> Yes, this past year has been one of incredible resilience. And I know I spent the first half of the year celebrating that, seeing 
farmers going out into the field every single day while there's a pandemic happening. Before we even knew how COVID was spread, we were still sending people out to like mm -hmm. harvest our food and grow it and really like maintain like food security on some level for some Americans. Yeah. But resiliency for me now, uh, I think looks different. Um, I, I don't know if we should be celebrating uh, farmers like being resilient in this way mm -hmm. uh, because why should they have to go and like work so hard during such a stressful time like where are the resources uh, where are the systems that are in place to let them isolate at home to let them actually like take a break and realign during this time uh, so that they can be you know farming more robustly in the future during like these really uh, really stressful times. Uh, mm -hmm. And you know, I can't pretend that this idea came to me on my own. Uh, Scott Chang Fleeman is a farmer in California who's part of the Young Farmers Network. And he, he wrote that workers breathing smoke uh, in California to harvest crops isn't resilience. Uh, mm -hmm. That is just, you know, I think he was trying to say that this is something that we have to do, but the system is not supporting these farmers. And I think to me, a resilient system, uh, like true resiliency would look like uh, the government or other nonprofit organizations like us saying like, hey, take a break, take a pause. Here is everything you need right now to get you through the next two weeks, the next four months, the next year uh, to let you maybe keep doing what you want to do or whatever work you find appropriate, but while also keeping safe. Like our farmers, they have families and they have lives and they're, a lot of them are activists, but they're also still working these incredibly long hours every day. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. while I do celebrate that resilience, I think moving away from that, that type of resilience framework would benefit us in the long run and especially benefit the farmers in our network. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. Pretty much any time I, <laughs> I sit down and talk to people, I'll have a bit of a like, just, you know, um, these, these, these ideas are so much, it's such a part of what we do, right? We, we latch onto a word and, and then we just kind of carry it through to its nth degree, but often it becomes at the expense of the labor force of labor of people. Um, as opposed to, like you're saying, how can we make a resilient system so that the pressure isn't on the individuals to be resilient? Um, exactly. And isn't that yeah, the point of these systems right. to support us during times of need? Right, right. Um, well, I think there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down when it comes to the, the <laughs> American work ethic and the, the ideas that have been in, ingrained in us about, you know, what we call ourselves, we call ourselves resilient, hardworking, and 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 all of these things to to what expense, you know, to what expense, to what cost for our for our well being and and the well being of our of our neighbors and our food system as a whole. I think there's a lot there, and I'm I'm really grateful you brought up that idea. I think it's worth at this point in the pandemic. I, I don't want to say pause. I don't know. If, it seems the the um, 
the challenge continues, but to pause and really evaluate how we're almost to evaluate how we're talking about ourselves right now, how we're, what expectations we're setting up for ourselves when it comes to whether it's for us showing up to online meetings or online, you know, events or think how we're engaging with our constituents in that capacity or how we're showing up to purchase our food and engage with the people that provide our food. So I'm just grateful for that sort of, um, uh, you, you broke down a wall there for me in, in my thought process of how I'm approaching the pandemic and I'm really grateful for it because we have to do that, right? We can't let ourselves um, get swept away by, by, by roles that we're being placed in and that others are being placed in by higher powers, I think. I agree with you. And I feel like this, this like really revealing year, uh, I think is forcing us to examine what it means to be American, to be a citizen, mm -hmm. or to be part of the United States, because there are people who are supplying us with food every day who are not citizens, who don't get stimulus checks, but they're the ones who have continued working through pandemic, through drought, through wildfires. Like I cannot imagine having to like work while the hills are burning around me yeah but, um, with are... none of the with none of the the safety nets the health care the any of those resources that no quite that others would have yeah and yeah. I would even argue quite the opposite um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the time where undocumented farm workers are even more targeted and even more at risk of deportation and losing access to their families like it, it, it's mind-numbing. And so when I think about resilience, I'm like, how? Mm -hmm. uh, Black people don't get to opt out. Indigenous people don't get to opt out. Mm -hmm. uh, people of color don't get to opt out. It's just a constant barrage. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, where do we find things in common and like move forward in a meaningful way, but in like, and make permanent change? Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems, it seems most important as we're talking, you know, organizations like, like ours um, need to be really, like, like you've said, I think, you know, evaluating ourselves internally. I know within George Organics, we're doing a lot of intensive work around things as seemingly simple, but very foundational as our mission and our values and the things that you know, we, that we, that we ascribe to the backbone of our work yet sometimes can honestly just become another page on the website that says, this is what we believe in. So, so really evaluating that work and also really evaluating, you know, with programs that I know you're aware of, like our, like our farmer services accelerator program, you know, being very intentional about the, the money and the resources behind that going directly to Black, Indigenous, and other farmers of color um, as a very distinctive, quantifiable part of the process, of the application and, and you know, admittance process on that. So there's small things like that. And then I know that there's also just bigger pieces. And I think this is where, you know, just looking at individuals as activists we have to be looking at how we can affect change on this larger scale. I don't, what are your thoughts? Wow, 
good, <laughs> good question. I, I wish I had the power and I wish I had the answers uh, right now in this moment. Mm -hmm. um, I think the key thing to realize and internalize and understand is um, I hear I hear this thrown around that like we're op especially in agriculture like we're operating um, in a broken system the system's broken it's not serving mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. but uh, rewind a bit the system is not broken the system was designed with white supremacy in mind unfortunately and it is operating exactly the way it's supposed to operate um, by like keeping power where it was designed to keep power. Uh, so I want to like rewind, maybe I'll do this in the edits, <laughs> just like rewind and repeat what you just said, because yes, I'm sorry, continue. No, I like, I'm, I'm glad that, I'm glad that you're vibing with that, but it is, <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, hard to, hard to explain sometimes, but it, it's very yeah. evident if you just look at it, this, the system is operating exquisitely. Like that is the way mm -hmm. it was designed to do. It was designed on cheap labor. Uh, it was designed uh, to operate on um, black and brown bodies that are not compensated or like repulsively undercompensated. And nonprofits like ours, uh, we stem from that. Like we work in the nonprofit industrial complex and so where do we get our money from these very wealthy people who at some point got their wealth and were able to like hold on to their wealth because of the exploitation of of black people and brown people in the united states mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and also internationally but that is oh yeah 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 <laughs> it, it's a global it's... system that is operating the way it was meant to operate yes absolutely so absolutely to answer your question um, very simply, um, people have people have to give up power. Um, mm -hmm. you, and you know, we we see at the we've seen like with recent elections, like you know, um, black and brown people, we we are organized. Like we know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's just time to like you know start giving up those like coveted executive director positions, those board yeah. positions, and. I know it sounds scary for like such a huge shakeup, but uh, it will, in in the end, it will benefit everyone. Yeah. Um, white people are not benefiting from the system either. Like right. most of us are working class. And I, if you are rebuilding the system um, with keeping like the most exploited people in mind, like how do you mm -hmm. build them up? Then you are lifting up everyone at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's crucial to realize that it will take, like you're saying, I know so many, um, when this conversation comes up, you can tell uh, a lot of white leaders are seeking, you know, to, to backpedal that, what feels like such a drastic conversation. But if we're talking about a centuries, I don't know, millennia old system that like you're saying was built for the destruction of peoples. It's mm -hmm. gonna take an equally dramatic shift to get us on the right track, to get us on the right track and, and, and many years certainly, but it will take that, that rupture, I think, mm -hmm. for it to happen. Rupture is not the right word. I can't think of the right 
bold, dramatic word, but, but it will take a choice and it will take a stepping back in a big way, mm -hmm. in a big way. Yeah, and there are places that like this, that this has operated before. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think about uh, right now, I live and work on Muscogee Creek land. Mm -hmm. and the people of Muscogee and the people of the creek, they, they had it down before mm -hmm. colonizers got here. So mm -hmm. when you say looking back, I think we should look like way back. <laughs> yes, yes, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, yes, I couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. Well, Bilal, this has been exactly as rich a conversation as I expected <laughs> it to be. <laughs> I rambled a bit. I really appreciate it, but it's, it's, I think this is a good time. You know, this, we're still, as of recording, we're still in early January of 2021. So it's a time to kind of, I think, take account of what's been going on and, and progress that's been made, but how much more progress there is to be made um, and account for that and hold ourselves accountable as part of, as, as a part of white-led organizations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm feeling, there are times when I feel pretty confident, uh, especially mm -hmm. when I think about organizations in the Southeast, like yeah. we, we have the potential to be global leaders in this uh, because mm -hmm. we know, we know what we're doing here in the South. Like yeah. Yeah. we have, huge populations of every type of person you can imagine. Yeah. And we are good at working together. It, it has happened before and it is happening right now. Yeah. And we need to show that off. I agree. So yeah, there, there's definitely hope and there's definitely confidence for the future. I agree, well said. Well, in closing, tell us um, a little bit more about how people can, can find you, find National Young Farmers Coalition, engage sure. with y'all, yeah. Yeah, there are, specifically with the coalition, you have options. If you are uh, a white person listening in or a white farmer, uh, go to youngfarmers.org and look for the racial equity toolkit. That is, mm -hmm. um, we designed that as kind of like a first step or, or one step in the right direction and um, uplifting racial equity in this work. It's so important not to silo or compartmentalize uh, this work because you can't just have like a racial equity department and like check the box like you have to work off of a framework uh in everything that you do so yeah that um the racial equity toolkit is a great way to get started uh you can become a member at youngfarmers.org um, membership is 35 dollars a year or five dollars a month and you get access to a lot of different discounts uh, to online agricultural suppliers uh, from places like Johnny's and High Mowing, uh, places that you're already buying from. So that's a great way to support yourself and to support our work. And if you are not quite ready for that step, you can join our advocacy network just by texting farmers to 40649. And you can join our email list as well on our website, follow us on social at Young Farmers. And then, you know, all together we're going to be working to build a brighter, more equitable future for agriculture. Thank you so much for sharing those. I'll be sure to link those in our show notes as well. Great. And thank you for your time and just your presence and bringing your brilliant mind to to the to Zoom today. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah. And if you're interested in donating and supporting our work, 
uh, visit Georgia Organics and uh, also visit youngfarmers.org slash donate. That's our show for the week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Atlanta Foodcast and that you'll subscribe and join us again. We'll be back in another two weeks for more conversations with farmers and food leaders in the sustainable food movement of Georgia. If you want to learn more about Georgia Organics, visit georgiaorganics.org and be sure to follow us on social media. In the meantime, we hope you eat well and remember to stay local.